This morning as we begin, I, I want to have a little bit of fun. We're going we're gonna, to, every once in a while, we talk about how it's okay to talk in church. It's okay, maybe not during the sermon, um, uh, but it's okay uh, at, at appropriate places, and it's good to, to mingle. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds. I, I was thinking about cars this week. I'm not a car person, but I was thinking about cars, and I was thinking about some of my first cars. So I want you to take the next like 30, 60 seconds, find someone sitting really close to you, and share with them either your very first car or your most unique car you've ever owned. One, two, three, go. All right, bring it back in. Bring it back in. One of my favorite things is hearing the laughter in the room. Um, this week I was thinking about some of the interesting vehicles I have uh, driven through the years. I, I think about my wife's very first car uh, we called Ethel, and she got when she was in high school. And by the time that we were dating and then engaged, uh, and I think we had it for a little while while we were married, um, that bad boy was like a souped up, what was it, Grand Am? Grand Prix. It was like made for racing. But by the time that I got uh, to it, it had like a gas leak. So every time you drove it, you were driving by faith that it wasn't going to blow up. Um, had leather, uh, black leather interior, uh, no AC. Oof. It was rough. My very first car um, was a 1994 purple Ford Ranger. The speedometer went up to 85. Um, to try to get on anything, you would just put the pedal to the metal and just pray that it eventually would get up there. Uh, there's a reason why I did not take it on the freeway often. I was thinking, though, this week about a, a, a car that I got that was my second car. I um, had went off to college, and at the college I went to, Anderson University, Soar Raven Soar. Um, they, they, they sometimes liked freshmen not to come with a car just so they would kind of be around campus more, and, um, which was not a good thing because it actually led to me riding in trunks of cars often to places like IHOP at midnight, but I'm alive still. Um, but so that summer, uh, between my freshman and sophomore year, I decided that I needed some new wheels, and um, I began to think about different uh, cars that I was going to uh, get. And I, I thought through practical cars for a little while, but eventually I noticed a car that I drove by uh, on my way to my parents' new house. It was this beautiful, deep blue um, Chevy S10, and it was sweet. It had the underbody kit that, that made it feel like it was part of the Fast and the Fur Furious movies. Um, it had the ability to, I found out later on, if you remember when cars used to put the neon lights underneath for whatever reason, it had those ability. It had aftermarket things that let you know your RPMs and all sorts of things. It was an incredibly impractical car for someone who's not a car person or a truck person. But for whatever reason, I saw it and I'm like, this is the epitome of wheels. Girls are going to think I'm awesome, uh, which I found out later people love to call me to help them move. Um, 
But for whatever reason, I decided to get this vehicle because I was like, this seems awesome. And here's the thing. Uh, about two years later, this car basically died. And eventually I got rid of it. And part of the reason was, is when I was looking for a car, my expectations, my desires, the things that I thought would be good, um, that I really should have been thinking about, I kind of threw out the window. And I looked for kind of superficial things that I was hoping would work out. This morning we are um, continuing in our series called Longing for Belonging, where we're talking about this idea of what it looks like to foster friendship and to become a good friend and, 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 and to scratch the itch that God uh, created inside of us to have a sense of friendship and community in sort of a lonely, disconnected world. And this morning we're going to talk about what it looks like to be someone who would be a good friend, what it looks like to look for people who would be um, good friends, especially from a Christian perspective. But I, I was thinking about the expectations I had when I bought my uh, truck and how wrong they were because I believe um, that oftentimes when we think about friendship today, um, we, we get it all wrong. And, and, and I would even go as far to say this, that our expectations for friends are both too high uh, and too low. That when we think about um, looking for friendship, uh, we, uh, we have these wild expectations that are too high and too low at the same time, and oftentimes get us in this place of like um, paralysis where like we can't decide what to do. In fact, there's a lot of people, myself included, uh, who I feel like friendship can be a little bit like when you put something in your Amazon cart, and you're reading through all the reviews, you're trying to do all the cost analysis, and have you ever like researched things that you thought you were going to buy, spend hours on them, look at all the different things, yet never to buy them? I think we do that with friendship sometimes because we're not exactly sure what we want. But I, I think our, our, our expectations on friendships are both too high and too low uh, for, for a few reasons. I think they're too high because many of us, if we're honest, wouldn't meet the criteria for what we want in a friend. And what I mean by that is the fact that most of us, we want people who are fun. We want people who uh, show up in our lives. We want people who will be honest and open with us. And if we're honest, most of us want things that we're not really willing to be for others. A lot of us, if we're, if we're being real, like we want someone to maybe be honest and open with us, but we're not sure if we really want to be honest and open with them. We want the people who are willing to drop everything and, and help us. But we're not sure if we always want to do that for others, if we're being real. So oftentimes we have these, these, this criteria of like, okay, friend, um, own a pool or a boat. Um, always willing to pay for lunch. You know, we, we go through very superficial things that, again, we don't fit ourselves. And so we, we sometimes miss kind of the mark on, on, on entering into friendships because we have built up like this idealized friend who's out there. Maybe you've met that person, too, who um, they, they desire uh, to be in a romantic relationship, but you kind of know, like, hey, your expectations are up here. And, like, as a friend, I don't want to say this, but, like, you, you got Starbucks expectation with Folgers money. Like, it's not. And we do that with friendship. We desire these things that are out of uh, reach, that we're not willing to really um, lead into ourselves, and also they're just not realistic. We make up a person who may not actually exist. And one of the reasons why we struggle with this and one of the reasons why we forget this is because every friend we have or could have is a sinner who will hurt us. It's, a, it's like a, kind of a bad guarantee that's true. Um, every single person who will be your friend or could be your friend is a person who is deeply in need of the grace of Jesus Christ, 
who deeply is a flaw is a deeply flawed um, person who is going to mess up. How many of you guys have, have ever had a friend who's never hurt you? No one. Because whether someone tried to or not, there's always going to be things where someone is going to not say, say enough or they're going to say too much. They're not going to show up or they're going to show up too much. Every single person who we encounter is not perfect. And the good news is either are we. And so we have to begin to look at this idea of what does it look like to not build up things and, and let it ruin and sabotage our desire for community anyways. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who has this incredible story, he was this pastor, theologian person um, from Germany, and he, he lived in, in the time of Nazi Germany. He eventually uh, was a martyr for the faith, and he wrote this book that's a great little book, if you ever want to pick it up, called um, Life Together, and it's all about Christian community. And he says this about one of the things that we have to be careful about of how we idealize and dream about um, community and friendship. He says this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Put another way, essentially, sometimes we have these idealized um, versions of what friendship and community and even church looks like, and, and, and it can be the detriment of we're looking for one thing when God has placed something else there for us. And, and the truth is, like, friendship and community is messy and beautiful. One, one of the beautiful things about it is it's just this. I've experienced this in my own life. There are seasons where our best friends are people who we never thought would be people who we are close to. They're people of different ages, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds. They're people who we weren't expecting. One of the beautiful things about the church, when we look at the early churches, oftentimes the early church, God would get a hold of people's hearts who were very different. They weren't people who just happened to be in the same book club or be at the same country club or grow up in the same neighborhood. They were people from diverse backgrounds. Because one of the beautiful things about good, godly friendship is that the thing that unites us is not the... Um, the activities we enjoy, our preferences, our politics, any of that thing. It's just the fact that we all once were lost, but now we're found. And we have this commonality of Jesus. Now, on the other end, not only do we have these high expectations, but I also will say this. I think, on the other hand, we have often uh, have low and often wrong expectation of friendships that are not informed by biblical values. Because in the same way, when I looked for the car, um, I was looking for something that I thought looked cool, might be fast. Maybe it's because my speedometer before only went to 85. I was looking. But we look for things that are not what we actually need. And oftentimes, I, I have been very guilty of this. I'm looking for, like, I need someone who, like, likes the same sports teams, who has the same activities, all that sort of stuff. And those things can be great, right? We, we understand. When, when we have common connections like that, those can be great but also, I've realized as I've looked back, some of my best friends in my life, some of my most true friends who have really been there for me as a brother or sister in Christ, have been people who we have very different interests. They, they share things. I, one of my friends, I mentioned him last week, Chris, the guy loves cars and car racing and things like that, and he tells me about it in very like enthusiastic, exciting things. And because I'm his friend, I nod and pretend that I'm interested. But... I couldn't care less. If you're watching, Chris, I love you. I'm sorry. But I'm there. I'm listening. I promise. But that's okay, right? Because oftentimes the benchmarks, the frameworks, the, the, the things that we look at for friendship, oftentimes uh, we look at from a worldly perspective. Because the world kind of tells us 
find people who are exactly like you. Those will be your friends. And it's this, this kind of strategy of the enemy to isolate us not only as individuals, but as like people groups and interests and things like that. I'm here to say, the IU fans and the Purdue fans, you can be friends. <laughs> Ohio State, we'll see. But I want to talk this morning a little bit about um, some marks of biblical friendship, what it might look like for us to really think about, one, what are the type of people that we're looking for to be good friends, and two, maybe more importantly, what does it look like for us to actually become a good friend? Because I said last week, some of us, if we're really honest, we may struggle finding and keeping friends because if we look at the person in the mirror, we may not be that great of a friend. And that might be a painful reality, but I'm telling you this again as a friend. So, so here, here are my four. They're, they're, they're all peace, so they're easy to remember. Um, presence, patience, pushing, and peace. Now, I'm going to unpack all of them. Don't push anyone physically this morning or until we get there, okay? I'm not um, calling for violence and friendship, but we're, we're going to talk about these. But, but these are things that as I looked at Scripture, and some of this was informed by um, a guy named Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York, who... Um, uh, had a sermon on uh, friendship, and so some of this is, is based off that, but some of his language was not, um, it's a little heady there, and uh, they're, they're a little bit more of the, the PhD thing, and I'm, I'm more of the GED level, so um, I'm going to bring that to us this, this morning. All right, the first thing that we need is we need friends who practice presence. We need friends who practice presence. In a world that is constantly um, seeking our attention. We can be in a room full of people, right, and not be present. In a room, in, in a world where, where people oftentimes um, bail last minute on plans, are kind of waiting to see what happens, or always wondering who's there, in a world like that, one of the things that we see throughout Scripture, one of the things that we see in the example of Jesus is this idea of just being Present. In Proverbs, which is a, a book of wisdom in the uh, Old Testament, it says this in Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. Now, this is a um, powerful statement. Uh, a true friend loves at all times. There are so many friends who I know who, um, there, there are friendships that sometimes end, which, which let's just be honest for a minute, which is also okay. Um, friendships can be seasonal. I don't mean like, hey, ho hopefully I'm not talking about like, okay, these are my fall friends and these are my summer friends. Um, but, but I mean, we're, and we're going to talk about that next week a little bit more. There's this reality that um, sometimes friendships come to an end, um, and, and that's also okay. Um, it, it, that, that's going to happen. But, but one of the true marks of, of, of a true friend is someone who's present. And, and now, presence doesn't always mean proximity. I, I, some of my best friends, I, I haven't lived near in decades at this point. But there are people who show up in my life. They're the ones who send me texts on a regular basis to check in on how I'm really doing. They're the ones who will drop what's going on. I always think about, when I think about this idea of presence, I think about my friend uh, Jacob. Jacob and I met working at, at a summer camp, and um, we eventually were college roommates for, for about a semester when he came down to uh, have a fun semester living with me. Um, and we have stayed super close ever since. Um, we're best men in each other's weddings, things like that. And, uh, but I'll never forget one of the, the true moments of this idea of just showing up in someone's life. 
Uh, I had been dating this girl, uh, which was a bad idea, and uh, we, we ended up breaking up, and I, it was one of those where I just needed to get away from where I was. So I, I decided kind of last minute I was going to drive back to my parents' house. I was like, I just want to be out of the town where this person lives. I don't want to run into them. I just kind of want to be a little way. Also, she was a little stalkery, so that was another reason. I digress. Um, but what was wild is uh, I got to my parents' house, and like less than an hour later, my friend Jacob just shows up there, drives an hour and a half out of his way, kind of just drops everything just to be there, and doesn't like give any great words of wisdom, doesn't tell me what he probably wanted to tell me, which was like, yeah, you were an idiot for dating this girl for so long. We saw all these things. He just showed up with presence and love. And there is something about um, people just literally being there for you through the good and the bad, um, showing up when it's easy and when it's difficult. When you actually have people who are willing to just kind of sit in it with you, that's huge. Because in a flaky world, we need consistent people. In fact, one, one of the most beautiful, easy ways for followers of Jesus to live out the gospel in the world that we live in, to, to distinguish ourselves. If, if we talk about this idea of being holy, which means to be set apart, we could literally just embody this thing that Jesus taught us in the gospel, Matthew chapter 5, where he says this, let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Like if we were just to actually be consistent presence for people, where we're willing to say like, yep, I'm going to be there for you, no matter what. That's a huge, um, uh, a huge just message towards people that reflects back to them who our God is, which is a God who is with us. We talk about in scripture, right? Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Presence is so important. It's why we also talk about here at South Creek, uh, we have seven core values, and one of them is this one that's called um, committed to community. Then in a world where, where people are, are flaky and they, they bail last minute and they do all sorts of things, like we want to lean into this idea that we will be together. We'll, we'll be committed to one another. Even when we don't want to, even when it's not convenient, even when it sounds awful, part of love, part of community, part of friendship is just being there for one another. And so we need friends who practice presence. Here's the next thing. We need friends who walk with us patiently. We need friends who walk with us patiently. A good friend, as we'll talk about in a minute, is also a truth teller, but a good friend is also a person who is willing to walk with us even when we're acting like idiots, even when we don't get it right away. There's something about a friend who's willing to say, you're acting like a fool and I still love you, and I'm going to patiently wait with you until you're ready to turn around. You know, there's something about the idea, uh, this picture in my mind of like the gospel, that if, 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 if repentance, which is this fancy church word for turning around, uh, there's this picture I always have in my mind of like the church actually going out and reaching people, I think is, is, is walking with people hand in hand, reminding them that there's something around the corner to just turn around and go back to who won't leave them. And they're not walking to the sin themselves, but they're saying, I will be here for you when you're ready to turn around. And there's something beautiful, again, about this idea of people who will be patient with us. They'll be gracious with us. Because one of the marks of a friend, a good friend, is someone who knows timing. We've all been there, right? Someone has said something that was the right thing 
at the wrong time. I have done this many times. Anyone else? Sometimes there's a, a beauty in a friend being willing to know um, the right timing. I, I think about the story of, of Jesus, right, where um, Lazarus has died, and he is in the tomb, and Jesus is, is great friends with, with his family and his sisters, and, and when he gets back, like, everyone is weeping, and they're frustrated, and they're angry at Jesus, if you remember the story. And uh, I, I always think about this story. You know, it's, it's the famous Jesus wept verse. Um, I always think about this story, right, because it would have been so easy for Jesus to say, guys, hush, I'm going to take care of it, right? Um, but instead, what does he do? He, he enters into um, their grief with them. He weeps with them. He, he embodies this idea that Paul would later teach on, uh, that if one part, if we're one body, many parts, that if one part is suffering, we all suffer. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice. This is this idea that we will patiently be with us. And a true friend is willing to sit with us in the midst of whatever we are going through and choose to go through it with us. Like, that's the mark of a friend. That's part of signing up for friendship is, is also kind of the idea of like, hey, if, if you're sad, I'm going to be sad with you. If you're happy, I'm going to celebrate like I won with you. That is the mark of a true friend. And again, when I think about this idea, the Bible is really clear throughout, especially in Proverbs, about this idea of, of, of a friendship being so important, why we need people who will practice presence with us, who will walk with us patiently. Proverbs uh, 18, uh, verse 24 says this, the one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is important stuff. And this is important stuff not only for us to seek for ourselves, but this is an important reminder for us of why we actually have to follow through and be a good friend to others. Because literally, our, our lives are, are at stake. You show me um, someone and, and their friends, and, and, and you will see what likely their future will hold. Here's the third thing. We need friends who will push us to grow. One of my favorite things about friendship and some of the best friends I've ever had have been the ones who have been courageous enough to push me, um, who, who have been loving enough to say, your fly's unzipped, you got a booger hanging, something stuck in your teeth. We need those friends, right? Because part of, part of the gift of friendship that God gave us of community is the idea of refining. And, and, and the truth is, um, we need people who are willing to sometimes look at us when we are acting a fool. And, and maybe after they've been a little patient with us, do a little pushing. Sometimes we might even need someone to trip us. We need people who are willing to, to say, I'm willing to, to, to risk this. Um, I'm willing to, 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 to let there maybe even be a little bit of hurt. But one of the beauties about friendship is, is, is the more that you build up relational equity with one another, the more you know that when someone maybe says something that's difficult, that would be not fun to hear, you, you can maybe have the recognition that like, that took a lot of bravery to say to you. And they say it to you from a place of love. Uh, in, in Proverbs chapter 27, it says this, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Like there is this reality that um, when a friend says something to us, like maybe we should perk up. Because they wouldn't want to hurt us um, 
to, 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 to like put us down. They want to hurt us. Not really hurt us. They don't want to hurt us, but they want us to grow. I, I, I heard an analogy once that in, in many ways, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week when we talk about honesty and vulnerability and accountability. In, in some ways, um, friendship is an intentional um, choice to give someone a knife. And if you think about it, a knife, something sharp, right? It has the power to harm us. But you think about surgery, right? It also has the power to help heal us. And we need people in our lives who are willing to do that. We all need friends who love us enough to tell the truth. And honestly, if we have people in our lives who are friends who, who won't tell us the truth, then they're not really our friends. Part of the idea of having um, a friendship that's centered around Christ is the idea that we will tell the truth. Because again, if we look at the model of Jesus and how he was a friend, um, the guy had no problem. I mean, he one time said to his bestie Peter, get behind me, Satan. I personally would not do that. Might have chosen different words. He's Jesus, so he can do that. But again, Jesus had not only the courage, but the love to say the truthful thing to his friends. And here's the last thing. We need friends who point us to peace. And when I talk about peace, I in particular mean it from the standpoint of the Hebrew word shalom, which, which, which means um, uh, everything being right in order. It's a word that kind of means wholeness. We need friends, though, who point us in particular to the peace that we find in Christ. We don't need friends who tell us and point us to destructive habits, who don't say, you're right, you should leave them, or uh, you're right, have another drink. Like, we don't need the friends who, who, who push us towards destructive things. We need people who will literally point us and walk with us to Christ, who remind us of our worth and our value and our identity. And we need these people who we see who embody the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, you want to know what to look for in friends? These are great things. When you can find people who, who you can see the fruit of the Spirit in their life, these are people who you want to be present in your life. These are people who you want uh, to push you, to be patient with you. These are the type of people, rather than just the, the, the shiny-looking friends who, who you think um, would be a lot of fun. Fun in friendship is so important. Don't get me wrong. I, I like hanging out with people that are fun. But ultimately, if our goal in life is, is holiness, is heaven, is the kingdom, then we need to, 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 to set aside the world view that we have, which is all about pleasure and desires and comfort. We need to look for these things. And we need to look for these things and we need to lean into these things because ultimately that's kind of the thing. The spirit is what empowers us to be a good friend. Ultimately, the, the way that each of us actually follow through on being a good friend is not something that is inside of us. It's something that can reside inside of us if we choose to follow and trust Jesus. It is the spirit that allows us to embody those fruits. And it's the spirit that helps us to actually be a good friend. And it also helps us have discernment to choose good friends. Because ultimately, I almost guarantee there are probably people in your life who embody some of these things, 
who you on the first runaround would be like, I don't know if that'd be a friend. Because you've looked at it all wrong. I want to tell one last uh, story. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, and it's one of the most important stories when it has to do with friendship and community. And I know we've, I've talked about this story many times here at church, and I don't care. I'm going to tell it again because it's a great story. It's a good reminder. Uh, it comes from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 5, and it's in other uh, versions in the Gospels as well. But it says this, One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, this story ultimately uh, has a lot to do about Jesus' power to forgive sins. It has a lot to do, and spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, he does not just forgive his sins, but he also heals his body. It has a lot to do with this, but it's also a powerful view of what good, godly friendship looks like. I, I, I think about this. I hope I have people in my life who, who love me enough, that I have loved enough, who, if I was down, would be willing to, one, we have to think about socially in that culture, more often than not, people tended to stay away from people who had physical and mental defects. Because in that world and in that time, they would look at those things as being something like, you got a bad omen, there's some things going on there, and I don't want it to, 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 I don't want it to rub off on me. So the fact that you have friends who are willing to look foolish, to go against uh, the cultural norms at the time, and be willing to say, one, I'm going to associate with you. Two, I'm not going to leave you there. And then I think about how easy it would be if I'm them. We get the guy there, the crowd's huge, there's no way, it was a good try. And honestly, if I'm the guy on the map, probably I'm still thinking, like, I got great friends. But I can't imagine, like, the idea, I'm, I, I want to know who, who the person was who's like, I got an idea, guys, follow me. And to carry this man up on the roof, to carry him when he couldn't carry himself, and to be willing to just destroy property, um, which is fine. But who'd be willing to do that? Uh, who would be willing to say, um, I believe in this? And, and again, so much of this has to do with the fact that these people had saw something in Jesus and believed so much that he could heal them. And there's part of me that says, man, I hope I have friends who are willing to do that for me. And it also convicts me to ask the question, do I have some people in my life who are in need of healing? And am I willing to look silly, to go to extremes, to get them to the feet of Jesus? Because every single one of us, we need friends who are willing to take us to the feet of Jesus because he is our only hope. That's something we got to wrestle with today. Do we have people that maybe Jesus is calling us to carry there? And the other thing is to wrestle with the fact, do I have friends who I feel confident would do that for me? And I don't know what Jesus wants, wants you to do with those things, but I want you to ponder those things. And I want you to maybe ask the question, am I a person 
who is willing to do this for others? Am I a person who is willing to be present in someone's life? Am I a person who is willing to be patient with someone? Am I willing to push someone? And will I ultimately help point them to the peace that they can find only in Jesus? I said it last week. Jesus changed the world through relationships, and we can too. But it's going to take us being willing to possibly go first. At some point, there had to be the friend who said, let's pick Larry up here. There had to be the friend who said, let's, let's destroy the roof. And at some point, if we're lonely, if we're seeking friendship, we got to make the first move. But the beautiful thing is we know, as we sang the song before, what a friend we have in Jesus, who ultimately we can take all our burdens, all our troubles, and, and, and not only will he care for us, not only will he deal with those things, but he'll also, the more we spend time with him, the more we'll become like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we become a good friend. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to sing one last song? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, um, Father, we're grateful for the gift of friendship. We're grateful for the way that your spirit um, works in and through us. It, it refines us. Father, this morning, I hope and pray that maybe, maybe as I was speaking this morning, maybe, maybe a face um, uh, came to mind for someone that, that they feel like, man, i got to call them today. Uh, maybe there's a, a, a desire, this, this itch, this longing for belonging that's inside of them, um, that, that they're willing to, to, to take a step forward and, and try to do something uh, to, to find friendship. Father, maybe, maybe there's a conviction to say, I haven't been present in someone's life. I haven't been willing to push them. I haven't been... In, I haven't been one to point them to the peace. Uh, Father, whatever you want to say to us um, this morning, I don't want to put that in a box. Father, I just ask now as we sing this last song that you, you help us to become more like Jesus and that, Father, you speak in a way that brings clarity to us and conviction and courage to follow after wherever you're calling us. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the new life that we can have through your son Jesus when we surrender to you. It's in his name I pray.